Okay, a couple things as we jump in. Um, first of all, I mean, for those of you who know, we have a new granddaughter, right? Uh, Eleanor, born at the end of May, and so this is our first Christmas with a granddaughter. So we've got the tree up, and we've got all of our gifts that we bought for our granddaughter, and we're really excited for, uh, for this year. <laughs> Actually, that's not what our house looks like, but somebody sent me that this week, and I thought it was pretty funny. Um, and a few weeks back, Jason preached, and do you remember he had like his list of the three worst Christmas songs? I've got my own list that I think is better than his. Songs you've probably never heard of before. Um, Dominique the Christmas Donkey. How many of you have heard that song? Any? Oh, we have a few that have heard. Okay, Dominique the Christmas Donkey. How about this one? I'm going to put some glue around the Christmas tree so Santa Claus will stick around. I think that must be a country western song, don't you think? And then the, probably the worst song ever written, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Um, just depends on your perspective on that one, I guess. But um, that's my, my list of three. Really excited about our Read Through the New Testament next year. We, I had bought last year 270 New Testaments. This week we sold out all of them. They're all gone. So that's how much response that we've had. We've put in um, orders for more, and we're hoping to have about 40 more by the end of the year. So if you were wanting to do that, don't have it yet. If you will get on, um, here I'll show you that in a minute, I'll show you, but if you get on the website, either email the church or on the, the page related to our reading through the New Testament, just let us know and we will, when those copies come in, we will reserve them for you. We've been online this week scouring the internet, eBay, Amazon um, to get some more. What's really interesting that I've learned from all of that is um, capitalism is, is alive and well on eBay and on Amazon. Because last year, when I was first starting to buy these ahead of time, I could get a New Testament for about $4. And I've been driving the price of those things up. Even Jordan's been buying the student version of it to his high school and middle schoolers are going to do it. And the price, these must really had a limited print edition because the price of these we've driven up really high. Um, but just I want to show you a couple things this week as we were buying something I saw on Amazon. Um, in case you're worried about the translation, I want you to know that it was published January 1st of 1657. This is only 40 years younger than the King James Version of the Bible, so this is a really solid translation. I just thought it was funny. That's what they put as the print date. But look at, look at the price on these that some of these were selling for on eBay, or was this Amazon? $768 for a new, 930 so we've really been driving the price high. I can assure you that we, have not, we did not make any of those purchases. Um, but really excited as we get into that next year. Just this last week, our group's in Revelation, the group I've been going through this year. And um, that's, by the way, if you want to get on the website to let us know, like give me a reserve a couple of copies, um, that's where you would do that. But this week, Bra uh, Matt Brown texted us the day before we met. We meet Thursdays. Uh, his, his markup of Revelation chapters 4 and 5. I thought that was pretty funny. So, of course, all the question marks on there. Um, I was texting him yesterday that I want him this week to answer to us what in the world were those seven thunders about in Revelation, either 6 or 7, I don't know. But um, it's cool to almost be done with the reading this year that we're, I'm doing with that group. Um, just have been thinking also about this idea that this really fits what we talked about last year, the disciples' rhythm. If you remember that Christ lived his life from solitude to community to ministry and that we are to live our, right, our life with that same rhythm from Christ walking with him into community, living on mission with him and that that really is, this is a chance to do that, that up 
that in, that out. So the up is, is by being in the Word of God, you'll be able to engage God. We're encouraging you to do it in a group of two others. Make it a group of three, and I'll tell you a reason why I think that is actually kind of important. Um, so that's the up and the in as we share our lives and share Scripture together. But there's also an out component um, on the card that we have that tells you how to do the daily reading and how to meet as a group. There are two lines on there for two people that you'll pray for during the year to come to know, um, to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And do you remember the video we saw last week? It said that if you are in the Word of God four times a week, you're, you're uh, sharing with people who are lost goes up like 230%. And so as we read and work together through the Word, we also want to be in prayer for people that we care about, that we want to know God. So um, Rick Warren said this about the Bible and the purpose-driven life. He said, the Bible generates life creates faith, produces change, causes miracles, heals hurts, builds character, transforms circumstances, imparts joy, overcomes adversity, defeats temptation, infuses hope, releases power, cleanses our minds, and it frightens the devil. All of that, but it frightens the devil. And was even this week thinking about that. J.I. Packer said, if I were the devil... One of my first aims would be to stop folk from digging into the Bible, knowing that it is the Word of God, teaching men to know and love and serve the God of the Word. I would do all I could to surround it with the spiritual equivalent of pits, thorn hedges, man traps, and frighten people off. And I think, I think that's, I know that's true. And there's been a pretty overwhelming response in the body, which I really appreciate. There have been a lot of people praying that a lot of people would do this this year. I think there are still some people sitting on the fence like, I'm not sure I want to do that with a few other people, or I'm not sure I want to jump in. I was thinking this week, I think there's four things that tend to keep us from the Bible. I think one is not knowing how important it is, um, and that's what we've been trying to do the last four we few weeks, is really cast a vision for the importance of the Word of God in your life. I think some people are very intimidated by it. They find it confusing to read. Everybody does. There's, I mean, that's the question marks in Revelation, all along there have been things, part of what we share is like, what do you have a question about this week? There's always things that we're not sure what the meaning of it is, um, but sometimes that, that intimidation makes people afraid to jump in, but that to me is the genius of doing it in a group, because a lot of times somebody will come with a question, and as we talk in the group, I feel like a lot of times we come to a, a good consensus on an answer, so we all learn from each other. So don't, don't allow that to be a hindrance. Um, jump in because the group helps. I think some people feel really insecure in their Bible knowledge, like I don't know it enough, and so I don't want to meet with two other people or some other people who know the Bible better than I do. Um, but I want to tell you, we're all beginners, I think, in some sense. I, even this year, there were things I learned and saw in the Word of God I'd never seen before. I've heard the Word of God compared to an onion, that there's always layers. You peel off one layer and there's another layer. And there's always, I'm coming to it afresh all the time. And though I've known it a long time, there's still ways that it's new to me. To me, this is also part of the genius. We're really encouraging you to get in a group of three. Because if you get in a, a kind of a normal discipling relationship of two people, what tends to happen is the person who has the most Bible knowledge tends to end up kind of, it just automatically happens. They a little bit get on top. They're the person that is always asked questions or things get directed to them a lot. And what I love about the three or the four, like you guys are doing the four that I've been doing, is it really flattens all of that out. And when we meet in our group, we're all coming and sharing what we're learning. 
and we all learn from each other, and there really ha- isn't this sense of like somebody has more Bible knowledge. Um, the other thing I'd say about that one is if you feel like you don't have enough knowledge is nobody's born knowing the word of God deeply, right? We all get there through a journey. Um, the old Chinese proverb, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And nobody who knows the Bible well got there automatically. All, everybody started with that first step. So if you feel like you don't know it well, just take the first step. That's, that's the path to begin to getting there. And then I think time and busyness is a thing Satan will use that I, I know what it's like to feel like you don't have enough time. And I really want to challenge you to, um, to not give into that. I have learned over the years that, that it's never a matter of time but of priority. And what's most important to me, I do. And what's not a priority to me, I don't do. And so hopefully that sense of a priority of the Word of God has been building the last few weeks. One more thing I do want to say, a challenge if you're on the fence of doing this. Um, this year, we've had three small groups in our church doing something called Rooted that we're hoping to eventually take the whole church through. And it's, it's been really good. Um, my group's been really powerful. A few weeks ago, we had what was called a cardboard testimony where we wrote on a piece of cardboard some words that described us at the beginning of our group, which was the middle of September. And it was interesting, as we went around our group and shared the words of where we were at the beginning of the group, there was a theme that I was hearing that about half of our group was saying essentially the same thing. And I brought two of those. One of them is this. This person said, I felt interrupted, unbalanced, lacking motivation. That was in the middle of September. Another person put, inconsistent and unfocused. And as we talked, here's what I heard in our group, that a lot of the people, the reason they felt that way is for three months, we had just been online, right? Never gathering as a community. And then summer hit, by the time we started meeting, summer hit, and a lot of people were hit and miss, gone half the summer, whatever. And there was still not really a sense of deep connection. And what our group was all saying is like, I really had lost any meaningful deep connection with anybody. You know, sometimes online, sometimes here. And what the group did is by meeting in a group, it helped to bring some of that sense of purpose back. And so what they put, the, fa- the person that put, they were interrupted, unbalanced, lacking motivation, put connected, on track, motivated, excited, just from getting involved in the group. The, the person that put inconsistent and unfocused put refocused and re-energized. And as I listened to that, it really struck me that, you know, if you're not, like, doing spiritual things, like being in the Word, and you're, you're not doing it with other people, you will get unconnected, you'll grow stagnant. That's what I was hearing in the group. And it was just cool to hear. I know we have some other people from Rooted here that I think probably, that weren't in my group, but you probably heard or, or experienced similar things. So if you have a sense of stagnancy in your spiritual life, I really think this could help. So, okay, enough of that. We are going to jump into the Word of God and... We have, um, there is a, a sheet of paper that I have put out, that we've put out on the, the chairs that I really encourage you to get because there's some things that I put in there that'll help you see some repetition in John that I think is really important. If you're online, we emailed this yesterday in the Saturday email. You can run and quickly print that off. But I think if you follow along and see how John uses some words, that this will be a lot more valuable. But I would like to start with us standing and praying a prayer to God a prayer of being open and wanting him to speak to us through his word. So would you all stand with me? And would you join me in praying from the heart? Um, 
this prayer. And my thing is not advancing that anymore. Let me, let me try something really quick. See if I can un, unfreeze that. Where are we at right now? Is that it? Okay, that's, so I'm going to have to have you guys advance through that because this is frozen. So if you could go to the prayer, that would be great. That's right after this. Maybe you guys are frozen back there, huh? Yeah, so they're frozen back there too. Um, I'm going to pray this prayer for us. Can I do that? It's a prayer that was written by John Calvin. And so, Lord, I come to you on behalf of all of us, Heavenly Father, in whom is the fullness of light and wisdom. We ask that you would enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us grace to receive your word with reverence and humility, without which no one can understand your truth. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. And we'll see if that thing ends up getting up and running or something. Telling me I'm reconnecting. So I want you to open, to pull out this sheet if you have it. Um, so last week, we went through Colossians 3. We looked at Colossians 3.16 where Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And... We were talking about what that means to let it live, dwell in you richly. And as I went through that towards the end, I had told you that as we were reading through the New Testament, that like a couple of weeks before in 1 John 2.14, which is the first scripture on here, in 1 John 2.14, I saw John say something very similar, where John said um, in 1 John 2.14, in the left column, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. And I saw that similarity um, between those two. Let's see if this is up and running. There we are, 1 John 2, 14. And that really struck me that John talked about the same thing. So I really got intrigued and I wanted to flesh out what did John have to say about the word of God. So I pulled out all the, the key passages that John had about the word of God and found some really cool things because John was closest to Jesus of all the followers and if anybody knew Jesus intimately, it was John. And we're gonna look at some of the things that, that John had to say. Um, so, and what he says again in 1 John two fourteen is I write to you young men. And if you read that chapter, young men, he's saying people who aren't babies in Jesus anymore but they're adolescents, they've grown up in knowing God and he says one, they've become strong. The word of God, the word, the logos of God, it lives in them which is the word um, minnow, it lives in them and they have overcome the evil one. And these words are really important. I put them in there because we're gonna see John repeat these over and over and over again. The word logos, what he uses for the word, underneath that I have in the left column the definition. It is a word, a statement, or a speech which embodies an idea. We're gonna come back to that in a little bit. The expression of a thought, communication, a broad term meaning reason, reasoning expressed by words. And then this word minnow is really significant. It means to abide, which is actually the way I would prefer to translate it, to dwell, to stay, to remain, to continue in, to live in, to be present in, to tarry. It's that idea of dwelling or living in a home. It's the same idea that we had from John, I mean from Paul last week in Colossians 3. And so he tells us if we will abide in the word of God, the logos of God, that we will be strong and we will overcome the evil one. And I want you to notice in there with the, where I said God lives, which actually is that word minnow or abide. He, the word of God 
It abides in you. I've got that little arrow, and if you'll look down in the corner, the Greek tenses, it's not a huge deal. Don't worry about the tense thing, but they communicate different ideas, and anytime I put an arrow in here, it's because it's the Greek present tense, which means it's an ongoing, continuous activity. So he's saying the Word of God, it lives inside of them, it abides in them, it dwells in them in a continuous, ongoing kind of fashion. And when you do that, you will be strong, and you will be able to overcome the enemy. So let's go to John 8. Because Jesus says a really powerful thing in the Gospel of John that John recorded. Um, Only John recorded um, the other things we're going to be reading today. So in John 8, this is what he says to the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus said, if you hold, that same word minnow, if you abide to my teaching, my logos, you are really or truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall, be, we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place, minnow, in the family, but a son belongs, he abides to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So look at this. This is so interesting because he's using the exact same words, these words minnow, to abide or to live in, and this logos. And you also see this word for, it's translated truth most of the time. It's really, translated really in verse 31. But it's the idea of truth. We're going to see that word repeated quite a lot. But what he's saying is, he says that if you hold to my teaching, and all of the, forgive me, this Greek word minnow, all the abides in here is that continuous ongoing activity except this one. That's why I put a dot after it. It's the aorist tense, which means a one-time activity. And what, what that means is that Jesus is talking about that they, they had made a settled decision to make their home in the Bible and for the Bible to be at home in them. They were holding to. They'd made that decision. I'm going to live in the word, in his teaching, in his logos. And he said, if you do that, if you will abide in his word, if you'll make that commitment and you will do that, you are really or you are truly my disciples. Um, I learned this scripture when I was a, a, a new believer, and this struck me so profoundly because if you've heard my story, I grew up without faith. And one of the things that I had against Christianity as I saw it in the people around me is is they all claim to believe the Bible, they claim to know God or whatever, they had been saved or whatever. I saw very few people who lived it out in the reality of their life. I didn't see people following the Bible, I didn't see people, I felt like had a love for God or a passion for God, and to me that meant this thing was, was just worthless, right? All, all it is is this knowledge thing. And it, I, what I didn't know is it's what we've learned since was common in the 60s and 70s, which was called easy believism, that if you just say a prayer, you get a ticket to heaven, and you're saved, and you're going there, and it really doesn't matter how you live, it doesn't matter what you do, and that's, that's not the teaching of Jesus, and so this, this became really profound to me when I saw this, when he says that if you abide, if you're a person who abides in my teaching, then you really are my disciple. It's not just say a prayer or whatever. You've got to be a person who not just receives me, but you are willing to walk with me and to abide in me in my word. That's what a true disciple is. He says, you will really be my disciple. And if you're really his disciple, then you will know the truth. You'll know the truth. That word know, gnosko, I've got the definition underneath. It doesn't just mean intellectual knowledge. It's a really important Greek word that means to know something personally, intimately, experientially. It's more than intellectual knowledge. 
It's to have an intimate relationship to the thing I know. The fruit of this intimacy includes love, reverence, obedience, honor, gratitude, deep affection. So he says, if you abide in my word, if you're a real disciple, you will abide in my word. And if you're living in my word, then you will know intimately the truth, not just in your head. You're going to know it in your, you're going to know the truth. You're going to have a passion for the truth. You're going to live out the truth. You will be intimately acquainted. And if you do that, then the truth will set you free. And then in, down in verse 36, not just free, but he says free indeed. And in a minute, I want to come back to that. So if I abide in the word, here's what John's told me so far. I will be strong. I'll be able to overcome the enemy. If I abide in his word, it is a sign that I'm a real true disciple of his. If I abide in his word, I will know the truth intimately, experientially. And not only will I know it, but that will set me free. Pretty important stuff, right? To abide in the word of God. So let's go to John 15 now, third column. So in this text... I want to read the first three verses. We're going to stop at, at, at the end of verse three. Here's what Jesus said. I am the true vine. There's that word true that keeps coming up. I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off, iro in Greek, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, kath iro, same root word, different word. I mean, different, it's intensified in the Greek, but the, the branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, kathairos. It's the exact same word as prune. You've already been pruned um, because of, because of what? Because of the words, because of the logos I have spoken to you. Well, the thing that prunes you, that cleanses you, is my word. Um, that the, when, at the end of verse 3, the words I've spoken to you, that laleo, um, I'm trying to indicate with the dot and the arrow, it's the perfect tense in Greek, which means something happened in the past and the effects of it continue. So he says, my word, I speak it, but the effects of that word continue and it will continue to impact your life if you will abide in it. It's like Hebrews 4, that the word of God is, it's alive and it's active. The word of Jesus is alive and it's active. And so he says, if I will if I will commit myself, if I will abide in his word, that word will have a pruning effect in my life. Um, a couple weeks ago, I did 2 Timothy 3. Do you remember 2 Timothy 3? That the word of God is God-breathed and it's useful for four things. It teaches me. When I get off the path, it rebukes me. It corrects me to get me back on the path. And then it trains me how to live in righteousness or in right living. This pruning, to me, it's that rebuking and that correcting part of the Word of God. That when I get off the path, the Word of God will rebuke me, it will correct me, and what it's doing in that is it's pruning off of me dead stuff that's holding me back in my walk with Him. Uh, how many of you, I'm curious, are pruners by, I mean, what do you call, I don't know, what, you, what do you call a person who like, an arborist? No, that's a tree. I don't know. Do you, any of you good at pruning, prune things in your yard? Anybody, I'm curious, we had a few pruners for service. I pruned something. I had no clue what I was doing. It was in our, the house we currently live in. When we moved there, it had a giant lilac bush. Not giant, but it had a pretty large one. And the first spring, when spring came, that huge lilac bush was all green, but only grew like one head of lilac flowers, just one. It was pathetic. And the next spring, I thought, it just must be the year. Must have had a hard year. The next spring, huge bush, but it only grew one lilac bunch at the top. And I got very annoyed at that. And so I decided I was going to prune it. 
Didn't even get on YouTube. I had no clue what I was doing. It probably was the wrong time of the year. But I got in there, and actually when it was dry, when there were no leaves, but I got in there and I hacked off a bunch of wood, the wood that especially looked old, cut a lot of stuff out of that. It got a lot thinner. So the next year, spring came, and guess how many heads of flowers it grew? What would you guess? I'm curious. What do you think? What? How many? 20? Good guess. Any other guesses? One. Actually, it was one. The next spring, it only grew one. Dane, have you, have you been to my house to see my, my, my pitiful lilac uh, bush? The next year, it grew one. I didn't do anything to it, though, and the spring after that, it grew like 12. And then the spring after that, it like doubled to like 24. And now it has all these flowers that grow on it simply from me getting in and cutting off and pruning dead wood. And that's what the word of God will do in your life. It will get in your life. If you abide in it, it will cut stuff away from your life that will enable you to flourish and to become fruitful. And that's kind of the whole point of John 15. If you drop down to John 17, 17, it says kind of the same thing where Jesus in his prayer to the Father in John 17 he says to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. There's that word again. Your word is truth. So the thing that sanctifies the believer, that word means to make holy, to, make, to purify. The thing that makes me holy, that purifies my life is the word of God, which is the truth. And so if I abide in the word of God, here's what I'm learning from John. If I'll abide in the word of God, I'll be strong spiritually. I'll be able to overcome the evil one. I will know the truth. It will mark me as a true believer. And that truth will set me free. Not just free, but free indeed. And that word, if I abide in it, it will be a pruning thing in my life that allows me to bear more fruit. And it sanctifies me. It actually increases um, my level of holiness and godliness by being in the truth and walking in it. It's all pretty powerful stuff, right? The word of God, the, I memorize it, it's powerful and active. The word of God is powerful. Now, before I get to my main point today, I want to take a minute, and I just want to highlight one of these that I think in our culture needs to be talked about, and it's the one about freedom, being made free. And here's why I want to talk about that. Because we live in a culture where the idea of freedom has radically changed from what freedom has meant in virtually every culture in the thousands of years of human civilization before the 20th century, there is a new definition of freedom that's arisen in our culture that we see in movies all the time. It's, it's everywhere. It's in all the Disney movies, practically, especially the, the animations. And we hear it and we breathe it so much that I think that even believers have come to buy into this definition of freedom. And it, it's this idea, so for thousands of years, still in most cultures outside of the West, what they believe when they hear freedom, they think of freedom to. It's positive. Freedom to something. I'm going to explain that in a minute. But in Western culture, freedom has shifted from freedom to to a negative definition of freedom from. Freedom from. That's how most Western people think of freedom. It means to be absolutely free. Freedom from is I'm free from any constraint, any authority, anything that might limit or impinge upon my personal freedom. It's anything that will limit me from becoming my true self or the person that I think that I should be. That's how we in our culture define freedom. Um, it is freedom from rules, freedom from tradition, freedom from institutions, freedom from anything 
that it's a constraint upon who I feel like I should become. That's how we define freedom, is freedom from in our culture. But again, through most of history, in most cultures, especially even today, freedom is primarily seen as freedom to, not freedom from. And I want to kind of define it. Here's what freedom to is. Freedom to is, is the idea that I have a goal or something that I want to attain to, and to get to that, to have freedom to that thing, I actually have to put constraints or limits in my life, and those limits allow me to have the freedom to become the thing I want to be. So let me give you an example from my own life. Um, when I moved to Emporia, I wanted, I'd played percussion my whole life, but I wanted to learn how to play guitar. I wanted to learn how to, I wanted to be able to sing in my own house and sing worship songs. I wanted to be able to lead small groups in worship with a guitar. So I took a class my first year in Emporia at Emporia State to learn to play guitar. And so for me to have the freedom, and trust me, you would not have wanted to have heard me try to play guitar before I took that class. It would have sounded horrible. I did not have the freedom to play guitar. Not at all. Just like my brother, when he started learning violin for the first two years, he had no freedom to play a violin. Do you know what a violin looks like when somebody doesn't know what they're doing with it? And what it sounds like? It's horrible. Uh, we lived with that for like two years with my brother. Till he got freedom to play the violin, it sounded horrible. But it's the idea that I put constraints or limits on my life so I can gain a freedom to something. I wanted to learn to play the guitar, to be free to play it well. And what that meant was, is that meant on every Monday night, I had to go do this three-hour class. So for three hours, I had to limit myself and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to watch Monday Night Football as much as I love it because the class is Monday night. So I limited and put constraints on my life so I could start learning guitar. It meant every night I had to practice for an hour to get good at it. And so I put constraints on my life. I limited some things. If the, some of the guys wanted to go do something on Thursday night, when, which was my practice time, I'd say no. So I kept saying no to things because I wanted to have this freedom to play guitar. And it took months. I mean, you, you learn the chords like you learn a G looks like this and, and a, a C is this and you learn what the A looks like and you learn the D is this. It's hard enough just to learn those things and to build the calluses for that. But I could not switch between chords at all like to go through a song. Like I could, I could like form the G and then I'd have to stop and I'd have to force my fingers to make an A, and it was just the most horrible thing. And I think two, two and a half months in, one night, it just switched overnight, I was able to switch chords while I played, and I could actually do a song. And that was the first time that I actually had freedom to, to play guitar and to enjoy it. Does that make sense? But the thing that got me to the freedom to was I had to put constraints in my life. And that's, that's the, what reality is, is if you want to have true freedom to anything, you do have to limit things in your life to have to, because you're looking for a greater kind of freedom than what you have. Um, it's just like the whole idea of a fish. I've talked about this before, a fish in water, right? Fish, for a fish to be a fully what a fish is created to be, for a fish to thrive, it needs to live within constraints, right? the constraints of a bowl. It has to live in water. If I take it out of the thing it's designed to be in, and if, if it says, I want to be free of this bowl, and I say, okay, and I throw it on the floor, what's going to happen to the fish? Is it free to be a fish now? No, it just sits there and flops. It can't do the thing it's created to do, and eventually it'll die, right? So to find true freedom means that I live within the constraints of how I'm created to be. And all of us are created to live in an intimate relationship with Jesus. 
to know him, to walk with him. That's the thing we're created for more than anything. And it's only when we're living in the constraints of that relationship, we're bound to him, and we allow him, and we allow his word to put constraints on our life. It's only when we're living in that that we truly are free to be the kind of people God created us to be. God knows how he designed the universe. And a lot of that is in this book. And if, and if we will, instead of living against the grain of the universe where we get splinters, so to speak, in our hands, if we'll live with the grain of how God designed things, if we live within those constraints, we actually become free people. Our culture thinks to follow this book and to follow God is to lose freedom. The truth is, is to live with the constraints of a relationship with God and what he says is to become truly free. So what Jesus said is actually true. That's why James and James 1.25, he calls the word of God the perfect law that gives freedom. That's why David in Psalm 119.45 says, I will walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts. So the only one who's truly free, really, is the person who knows Jesus, who abides in him, who abides in his word, and who walks in that word. Free from the bondage to self, to sin, and the death and ruin that it brings. So, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the freedom. So, to this point, if I abide in the word, this is an important concept with John, this continuing, ongoing, abiding, living, dwelling in the word, and it dwells in me, I'll be strong, I'll be able to overcome the evil one, I will, it will show I'm truly a disciple, I will know the truth intimately, experientially, that truth will set me free, powerfully free, free indeed, that word will begin to prune away the things in my life that will then, through that pruning, I'll allow to become fruitful. But in all of this, here's what, here's to me the most important part I want to get to, is John is wanting to actually take us to a much deeper place. And I love what John is doing in his book when he talks about the word of God. He is not simply wanting us to stop at the written word of God or the spoken word of Jesus. He's wanting to take us to something beyond that that is much greater than the written word, that's much greater than even than Jesus' spoken word. And that is the living word himself. Not to, to not just see this thing, but to see the one behind it who wrote it and who it's about. That's what he's wanting us to do. And that's, I know that because in John 5.39, I know that for several reasons, but in John 5.39 at the bottom of the third column, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you study this book, the scriptures, the Old Testament, you study it diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life and these are the very scriptures that testify about me. They point to me and you won't even listen to me. It is possible to be a person who reads and knows this book but does not know the one who is behind it. Does that make sense? And that's why John did what he did, I think, in chapter 1. So the fourth column over there, I saved it for last. He begins this book with a very important concept that I think is to be on the back burner of everything. When we're hearing John say, we need to be in this abiding relationship with the Word, abiding relationship with the Word, that in the back of our minds is John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And here's what it says. In the beginning was the word, the logos. And the word, the logos, was with God. In Greek, pros, face-to-face -face intimacy. He was with God, and the logos was God. So the word was in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, John uses this word so much in these texts, the true light that gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was, his own, which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, um, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word, the logos, became flesh and made his dwelling, he tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. A word that he said so many times in these texts. Full of grace and full of truth. And here's what I really want you to leave with today. Yes, we are going to spend a year in the written word of God. That's our challenge. But I want you to go beyond that. Okay? I want when you encounter the word of God that you are seeking the word, the living word of God that's behind that, the one who wrote this, the one that this is about, that, that it wouldn't just be, I'm going to read words and learn new things, but you would be coming to it asking, praying ahead of time, Lord, I want to meet you today, the living word in this. I want to hear from you. I want to know you. I want to follow you. Can I have an experience of you? You're the one that this is about. It's not about reading these words, but it's about you, the living word, through these words. Does that make sense? This is not the end game. The end game is walking with and knowing him. The logos, the word, and that word, if you go back to the definition, a word, a statement, or a speech which embodies an idea. Here's the genius of Jesus, that we have the Trinity who is all truth, and in the Old Testament, God is breathing through the Spirit all of, this, all of these words, written words to explain who he is, but what we know is, is written words are never enough to know a person, and so he sends the Son, the living word. He becomes the embodiment of all of that truth. He is the embodiment of God. He becomes God in human flesh. And rather than reading about God, people meet God. They walk with God. They talk with him. They watch how he treats people. Jesus is the living word, the embodiment of all truth. The embodiment of truth. That's why I love in verse 9 of John 1. He's the true light. In John 14, he's full of truth. If you go back to John 15, 1, I'm the true vine. That he's the source of truth. That's why in John 14, 16, um, in John 14, 16, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So truth is primarily a person, and when the person speaks, they speak truth. And so when I come to this truth, it's because I'm wanting to know the truth behind the truth, the one who's behind all of that. I'm wanting to get to know him intimately. And that's my call today, is as we enter 2021, let's, let's not just be like, I'm going to read through the New Testament, and I'm going to read words and get to know words, but that we would want to experience and know the one behind it, that that's our end game in all of this, is knowing him. And isn't that what Christmas is all about? That the word becomes flesh, the living word, the one behind the word. And so in 2021, I'm saying, you know, my Christmas to you because you came from me to reveal yourself is I want to know you more through your word. And so for 2021, I'm reading through the New Testament, your word, which is truth, because I want to know you, the one who is the truth. And then that takes me back to John 15. Because I stopped at verse 3 before. And Jesus has been talking about the word and how important it is and abiding in it. And then in verse 4, he kind of switches gears a little bit. 
And he says in verse 4, remain, abide, continually ongoing in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can the branch bear fruit unless you remain, abide continually in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me continually and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. So even in John 15, 5, Jesus is talking about the truth the Logos, and then he starts saying, but you have to abide in me, the Logos, if you want to bear fruit. Yes, the word of God prunes, but I'm the one who really brings fruitfulness in your life. So if I want to bear fruit, much fruit, it says in verse 16, lasting fruit, I have to abide in a walking relationship to me. So that's my, that's my call this morning, is let us not only let the word of Christ dwell richly in us, let us let Christ dwell richly in us through it. That's my call. Let's not forget the word behind the word. C.S. Lewis said, It is Christ himself, not the Bible, who's the true word of God. The Bible, read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers, will bring us to him. And then I love this one. Lewis said, We come to Scripture not to learn a subject, but to steep ourselves in a person. So that's my challenge next year. Don't just learn a subject, but steep yourself in a person. Not just in Jesus, steep yourself in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit, who all had a role in the Word of God. The Father conceived it. The Spirit inbreathed it. Jesus became the living Word who spoke the Word of truth. That it's a way to get to know the Trinity, all of, I mean, God in, in the totality. That's why A.W. Tozer says, the sacred page is not meant to be the end, but only the means toward the end, which is knowing God himself. And St. Ambrose, I love this picture as in paradise, God walks in the Holy Scripture seeking us. That God is walking in the Scripture, seeking you. And we know from the Pharisees, and I think we know from our own experience, times where we've come to this only intellectually, and we were missing the point. We were missing him, right? I think we've all been there. Christ, God, is walking in the Scriptures in the garden, seeking to meet us. And what it takes is for me to have the right heart, and I'm coming to it like, I want to meet you in this. You're seeking me, I want to seek you in this. I don't just want to read words and learn truth, I want to learn the truth behind it. So, that's my call to all of us. With Alexander Groves, who wrote the hymn, Break Thou the Bread of Life, said, O send thy spirit, Lord, now unto me, that he may touch my eyes and make me see. Show me the truth concealed within thy word, for in thy book revealed I see thee, Lord, Beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. My spirit pants for thee, O living word. May that be how we come to the word this coming year. So we don't want to be people at 12th who just know the Bible. We want to be people who know the God who wrote the Bible. We don't just want to be intimate with knowledge about him. We want to know him. So... Um, when it comes to 2021, don't just plow through this, you know, like to get through it. I think probably, I've heard it from a number of people. I've read the, never read the New Testament through, and it's a great goal. But it's not just to get through this, but it's to get to know better in a year. We can say, I know much more intimately the word behind the word. So I want you to stand with me. I want to end with a prayer from Thomas Akimpas, and this one is going to work. And I'd like you to pray this with me from the heart. Speak, Lord, for your servant 
is listening. Incline my heart to your words and let your speech come upon me as dew upon grass. In days gone by, the children of Israel said to Moses, speak to us and we will listen. Do not let the Lord speak to us lest we die. This is not how I pray, Lord. No, with the great prophet Samuel, I humbly and earnestly beg, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So do not let Moses speak to me. But you, O Lord, my God, eternal truth, you speak to me. If I hear your voice, may I not be condemned for hearing the word and not following it, for knowing it and not loving it, for believing it and not living it. Speak then, Lord, for your servant listens, for you have the words of eternal life. Speak to me to comfort my soul and to change my whole life. In turn, may it give you praise and glory and honor forever and ever. And we pray that in the name of Christ. And we, all of God's people said, amen. And before I let you go, can we also not, we're not an amening church, and I don't, I've, I've been around preachers like beg for amens. Can we not have an amen to the thing, to the reality that we're, we're not just going to be in the word to be in the word, but we're going to be in the word to know and experience him, the word behind it. Can we give an amen to that? Can we be about that this year? Can I hear an amen? Yeah, that that's what we want to be about, okay? So, Father, make us that kind of people. Make us people who just don't come to the word for the word's sake, but we want to know, we want to love, we want to experience you more passionately, more deeply. And may next year, at this time, we be able to say that we do know you more deeply. That's our prayer. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And 12th, as always, you are sent to a lost world outside these walls, but you're also sent to have a great Christmas with friends and family. So Merry Christmas, everybody.